listening to This Must Be The Place. This is Liz Taylor of Monash University. This episode is the second in a set of three about the Pyramid Hill and East Malvern tragedies. It's one of the digital death trip segments of the podcast where we investigate geographically themed tragedies selected at random from the National Library of Australia's Trove Archive of Digitised Historical Newspapers. The digital death trip bot is custom coded by Sarah, whose voice you'll hear. You'll also hear the voices of Nicole and Juliet, who's nine, and who came along on a field trip. Because I collected too much information, this particular podcast about Pyramid Hill and East Malvern is in three parts. This is the second instalment. So you definitely need to listen to episode one, where we finished up talking about a more recent mystery in the town of Pyramid Hill. Okay, let's see. Here is my random tragedy from Pyramid Hill. Year, 1906. Headline, The Triple Tragedy, Pyramid Hill Sensation. And that's the last sighting of Crystal that we've had. I think to bring it back to our 1906 Pyramid Hill tragedy, so it's almost exactly 100, oh no it's not, I'm being generous, Mm -hmm. 1906 to 2009, but a bit over 100 years earlier. So in 2009, the police are in this small town where they think that everybody knows who did this. But they can't. But they're not proving it because they're not cooperating with the police all this. You know, people are scared or... And in 1906, we're talking about the lo- the lone police constable, mm-hmm. who is the you know the representative of colonial law and order in the town. He kills his family and himself. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of I don't know. I, th- I thought there was a thin blue line, but, indeed. Yeah, yeah, of like the thin blue line in a country town. Yeah. Was it? And Nicole was saying it's a bit like these Wild West movies yeah. as well. They're always kind of dealing with the fragility of of law and order. Yeah. In in particularly. Yeah, so when the when the police is actually you know a person whose name you know, and the fragility of the whole arrangement uh, becomes very obvious. So in the old murder, the uh, local policeman is a murderer, and in the more recent one, the local policeman or and or detectives know what's going on, but the the town has closed ranks. The the force of the law is not enough in itself. It certainly had the force of the law to implement the land. Um, grabbing that did occur but it can't make everything else work yes yeah, so yeah. I was reading about what were the duties of a of a police constable in 1906 so the a feature of being a policeman at the time was that you would be dispatched you had no right of appeal you just got sent somewhere yep and you often that would just be the single police constable in, in a, a town or a area and a lot of their job was, I mean, they dealt with crime, but um, they also, they administered the Crown land stuff. Like of the, course, yeah. Just seeing that, you know, who's um, property rights, basically. Uh, they also were, they were a clerk to the magistrate. They collected agricultural statistics as part of that Crown mm-hmm. land thing. Inspectors of slaughter yards. Mm-hmm. Inspectors of nuisances. So that could cover everything from potholes to toilets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they just sort of, surveilled people in the town relatively little of what they did was crime no no and even if it was crime it would just be the administrative aspects thereof like something's happened and then they fill in the forms and stuff they did do a lot of rounding up of drunks so i was looking at so uh rounding back the it's the constable that killed himself and his family is called 
Constable Lang, mm-hmm. Oliver John Lang, mm-hmm. and he'd been stationed in Pyramid Hill for five years. So I just I wanted to get a sense of what that's generally what police did, and some of the cases where he's actually described. One is the he was rounding up some drunks, mm-hmm. a rowdy trio. Yeah. Um, so some strangers had come to town on the train and were drunk, and they had to be arrested. Yeah. They threatened to fight Constable Lang yeah. <laughs> and affecting their arrest at the railway station. So that's uh, that kind of crime they'd be involved in. Yeah. Here, spookily, because when we're inspecting the town, we're looking at the hotel, Victoria Hotel, yeah. and we went around the back, remember? And there's yes, a little yes. dog there, and we're saying, oh, that's a nice little area around the back. It's a cute little dog, and there's a great little area for having, like, a outdoor meals and a beer garden and stuff. So here's yeah. another, another thing that Constable Lang attended to in his time at Pyramid Hill. Bank account and suicide. Wilson... Twenty men was found in a shed at the rear of the Victoria Hotel with his throat cut. Mm. So there was a suicide, and the constable Lang had to deal with the yeah. affairs. And um, you know, I was looking at the a local history, and I was talking about the different police officers that have had. Yep. They did mention this incident with with, um, the murders, but they also said that when Lang first came to Pyramid Hill, he was thought to be, and indeed was much superior to the helmeted worthy who preceded him. His zeal impelled him to threaten some unparliamentary speakers at the street corner with a summons. But of later years, he appeared a different man. So he'd come to Pyramid Hill, stationed there, and initially... Uh, quite enthusiastic about policing. And later, no. a jerk and then a murderer. Right. Yeah. And so some interesting backstory is that I found that he, Oliver John Lang was born 1876, so he was 30 years old at the time he killed himself and his children. Yeah. He was born in Euroa. Yeah. His father also he committed suicide. Killed himself, yeah, wow. Um, and he went, uh, his brother is some kind of hero. Also like a, a war hero. A war hero, a police hero. Yeah. There are all these articles about him rescuing people from a burning ship and stuff like that. Oh. He went to Melbourne for his training and initial initial posting, I think, was in Caulfield. Yep. Next to Melbourne, interestingly. Yes, yes. And that's where he met his wife. Yeah, his, thank you. Uh, and that would have been like like walking around at the same time as the mules, right? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, very similar. His first wife was born Edith May Jordan. And she was born in Malvern, and uh, her father, Frank Jordan, is a senior sergeant in the police. So he, yeah, I mean, that's pretty weird, like Malvern and Malvern. He probably would have had a big part of the case with the Mueller's, right? Yeah, that's right. Good point. I should have checked that. And he, like Frank Jordan, her father, comes from a family that's very wealthy. They had a house with a name, too. And there's some other stuff about them being, like, important settlers and things mm-hmm. like that. Oh, Summerhill was the name of their house in Burwood. Yep. Brother was the president of Shire, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so they're, like, um, up in the, the top end of town kind of thing. They migrated from Ireland, but yep. they were... Uh, English, I assume. Uh, yeah, uh, Anglo. Jordan, yeah. Uh, Constable Lang married the daughter of his boss, basically, yeah. Frank Jordan. An as- aspirational... Um, marriage, perhaps. Yeah, and this uh, is possible. This is the dynastic aspect yeah, of the story. Yeah, wow. So Edith May Jordan, who then became Edith May Lang when they married, mm-hmm. uh, she died in February of 1906. Yes, yes, it gets quite complicated here. So that's about nine months before. Uh, she had two children, um, yep. two daughters, Olive and Doreen. Mm-hmm. Doreen's real name was Petoria, but yep. she was called Doreen. 
they were born in the city yep. in um, Fitzroy, but then they obviously had moved to Pyramid Hill by 1906. Yep. Um, and she died back in Melbourne. She died yep. at the house of her father yes. in Melbourne. Earlier in the year in before February. he kills the kids. Yeah. Yep. And Tragically or accidentally or something it says. The language said sudden and tragic illness. Mm-hmm. We were speculating about this. But it, it's... So... It's unlikely that Lang obviously is capable of murder, mm. but it doesn't seem that likely that he directly murdered his wife. In fact, we can say no. Yeah. yeah. So the other theories of that, uh, I think Liz will get into this, this very strong evidence that he was um, seeing another woman by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sudden death of his wife, she perhaps uh, had killed herself, or I thought like a pretty reasonable one was um, maybe a uh, pregnancy termination gone wrong or something like that. Some sort of side effect of issues. Yeah, yeah maybe also the, like, you know, she had some horrible internal disorder as a result of poorly cared for pregnancies and yes. she just went back to Melbourne and died. Yeah. You don't know. Yeah. Unfortunately, Not <laughs> on the historical record. It just says uh, she succumbed at her father's residence in East Malvern. Yeah. Her age being very young. Yeah. Now, a thing to note here is that she's buried in uh, Burwood Cemetery. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's Bur- a huge grave. It's like this one of those big plinths with the big yeah. obelisks and stuff on and top. And this of it. is where the story feels sad because it's quite obvious from the historical record that the dad really loved his daughter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sort of see it in the evidence with um, the fact that she went back to her dad's house when she was ill yeah. and also the, the head, headstone for the grave and stuff like that. Only There's beloved, more to it later. Yeah. Mega Grave says, Only beloved daughter of Sergeant Frank Jordan yeah. died 8th February 1906, aged 23 years at rest, and he's buried with her. Yeah. He died in 1928. Oh. Um, so there was this relationship with her father, and it's clear that her father, the senior sergeant, was not a fan of his son-in-law. Son-in-law, yeah. Oh, no. As we can see, that was well justified. It yeah. doesn't help it. So, now we skip forward a little bit. The actual murders took place in November. But right. the key thing the to same note... Year as the mother the died but earlier. Yeah. Mother died in February. Yeah. However, at the time of his death, Constable Lang had another wife. Yes, yeah, this is Her important. name was Victoria May. Mm-hmm. She, she was born Victoria May Barber. Mm-hmm. Uh, later in Lang. Pyramid Hill? No, she, uh, she was actually born in Tasmania. Okay. And moved to Pyramid Hill. Yep. And she was about 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. So young, young. Not, not illegally young, but very young. And they got married in September. He married this uh, other... Um, a new wife. Mm-hmm. Actually, they got married. So they married in nineteenth of August. He married Victoria May Barber, his yep. second wife, in August. So about so, sort of six months after his first, first wife, wife has died. died. Yep. And she's a lot younger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> crucially, more, yeah. crucially, she then gave birth to a son. Seventh mm-hmm. of September, nineteen oh six. Yeah, I think we later. can do the maths on that. So that the um, obviously she was pregnant before they got married, um, but also it means that um, she w- was. Um, beginning to be pregnant mm-hmm. <laughs> um, around the time that the first wife died. Yeah, so we make some suggestion. First of all, I mean, I did put in that there the, po- the possibility that because it was con- unconventional for men with children to not be married, yes. he may have just married someone that happened to be hanging around who was already pregnant. Yes, which would be pragmatic. But it's also likely, yeah. or perhaps more likely, that he actually got this girl pregnant. Yeah. And that's somehow connected to his first wife's yeah. return to Melbourne and yeah. 
if it didn't have the the really horrible events later you'd go oh yeah maybe they like his first wife died so he got a new wife and mm. something like that and maybe just married someone who happened to already be pregnant but given what happens later we can you know it's, it's not unreasonable to think that it was more harsh than that too much of a coincidence yeah, i think yeah. that she died at the same time that the husband is getting a new girlfriend so at the time of the murders he has been married to victoria for like two months yep. and he has a one month old son legally has a one month old son we don't yeah. know we assume it's his and he does not kill his second wife or his son. In fact, he doesn't seem to have... It's The vibe you get from reading the inquest is that he was fairly indifferent. By this stage, his whole demeanour has changed to being just someone... He used to be a zealous dude. Yeah. And now he just spends a lot of time in bed drinking. Yeah. And he's not doesn't seem to be particularly engaged with positively or negatively with his second wife. Right. She's Even the way there. she talks in the inquest is like, he was fine. And there's not a sense that he wants to kill her or... Yeah. Or anything. So that's an interesting, strange yeah. scene. It doesn't end up seeming like it's a battle between him and his uh, old father-in-law. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And we know it is, actually, because yeah. reading the inquest, this is Victoria's, his wife's statement. Yeah. I am a widow, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I've been living with my late husband mm-hmm. uh, at the police station for two months. And for about a week previously, he had been complaining of pains in his chest and head. He often said he would put a bullet in his chest when he had these pains. But whenever he said it, he would laugh. God, that would have been not a happy laugh. Yeah. He said that the pain in his chest was getting worse and he could not stand it much longer and then he would put a bullet in it someday. The night before his death, about midnight, he woke me. He asked me what I would do if he were to die. I said I did not know. I asked him what was going to kill him. He said he might hang himself, shoot himself, or die a natural death. I said, but you wouldn't shoot yourself. And he said, no. He then asked me, what would I do with Dolly and Olive if he was to die? He said, would you let Jordan take them? I understood by Jordan, his former wife's father. Mm-hmm. I said, no, I would keep them myself. He said, Jordan could take, could take them from you, you not being their mother. He said, if he thought he was going to die, he would shoot the lot of us. He mm. said, he'd sooner see the two children dead than Jordan to look at them again. This is a particular manifestation of it, but there's definitely um, in the, the patterns of uh, men who kill their children and or partner, or I use the term partner loosely, <laughs> uh, who kill their families, a common thread in them is that they view themselves as the centre of the world and, and that nothing good could happen to these people without them. Mm-hmm. So in some part of their brain, they're like, well, I've got to kill them because what kind of a life are they going to have without me? And in this particular case, that's very much in keeping with that, like, how could they possibly have a life without me? But I'm killing myself, so I better kill them. But it does have the extra edge here that it's just genuine vendetta against his father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of a territorial pissing of the worst variety. Yes, and where I found, I've got to find the notes here, saying that um, in the months leading up to him doing this, he there was some suggestion that he was going to get transferred or yep. he was in trouble yes. in some way. And there's... It seems like it's his father-in-law. Is who's it, obviously it higher here, up in the police force. Is yeah. a report. 
His first wife was the daughter of a retired police sergeant. It is stated that some weeks ago the grandfather desired to take the children away in mm-hmm. view of certain information that had come to his knowledge. Yes. And there's some stuff here, sense that he's getting investigated, either just for being slack or for something about his personal life. Having the new wife who's really young and or stuff that's even weirder than that. Yeah. Um, and definitely the, the father-in-law, the granddad, does it sounds like he does want to get the the granddaughters yeah yeah and i didn't sort of manage to find out what he was being um accused Accused of of, but uh certainly it seems reasonable to assume that he was going to get in trouble in some way and that's what he was thinking about at the time even though that inquest talks about how he feels sick i I think it's more like a i'm in trouble yeah psychosomatically yeah Yeah, i've got a pain in my chest because yeah um i'm gonna get fired and um you know my plans for my life and career are very much in jeopardy. And it seems my like chest hurts. For the past month, he had been despondent. He kept complaining, and he spent a lot of. So here's the newspaper speculating. Uh, by the way, he shot the two girls and then himself. The only reason that can so far be assigned to the awful tragedy is that the dead constable was rendered temporarily insane by domestic troubles. He was 30 years of age, a man of fine physique. And though not a total abstainer, he was seldom, if ever, seen under the influence of liquor. For over a month, he had been despondent. His health was indifferent, and he complained of a headache. So despondent just means he's just a horrible person, right? Yeah. (laughs) Slouching around, menacing people. And he talked, you know, since he'd been remarried, he talked a lot about killing himself quite openly. So you wonder what it takes for people to go, this sounds like this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I'm going to kill myself, and he's slouching around, and he's already got a new wife and his first wife has died, and it looks like he, he started a relationship with the first wife. It's, I'm being reminded of that, the podcast, The Teacher's Pet, at this point. You're like, yeah. it seems pretty like something's bad is going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. And then to say that it was a sudden fit of insanity and no one saw it coming. In fact, like, interestingly, wow. the, co- the inquest in this... Uh coronial inquiries they have to make a recommendation it actually says that one of the recommendations should be if someone in a public office important public office has been saying that they're going to here we go the inquest says oliver john lang did willfully and feloniously kill and murder himself and that in each case a revolver was used and each of the deceased was shot in the head while wish not wishing to attach blame to any of the living i hold that by reason of the undoubted fact that the fellow de se, that's a Latin for felon of himself, mm-hmm. is on the increase in this country, and that in many cases, as in the present, the lives of others are involved, it is advisable that when anyone in possession of his senses says with serious demeanour mm-hmm. that he intends to take his life, a heavy mm-hmm. responsibility lies on those who hear such words, and still heavier on those that utter them, and I hold that such attitudes should not be passed over lightly, but that those immediately concerned should be informed at once the Inebriates Act might then be in many places put in force with good effect yep. and where anyone holding a public position such as that of a const- constable of police in whose hands are often the property, liberty and perhaps the lives of others, such language should not be tolerated for a moment but should be visited with instant dismissal. So he's saying, look, this guy was saying he's going to do this. Um, how can this be seen as a shock? Yeah. And then the, everyone is actually testifying that he's been talking about it for a while. Yeah. I think that you would put on... The disclaimer there is that who would they have told? This yeah, because he officer. is the police. Yeah, I better go run and tell the police that the police are t- saying they're going to do something. Mm. They would have had to go and go to another town or something. Mm. So and it's, it's quite, 
maybe that's like when you know certain accusations that the uh, father-in-law is investigating. Maybe that's them. I don't know. Mm, or true, something true, of that. Yeah. It could yeah. just be that. Not just. It could be yeah. that he heard that he's talking about killing himself. Yeah, and probably having we know seen similar cases in Malvern, he would know that there's a, a good likelihood that if he's saying he's going to kill himself, he's going to kill the kids. Mm. Um, since that the sergeant would have been exposed to that kind of thing. Here's another yeah. class. It's easy to like a neighbour or something at the mm. inquest. I knew that he drank to some extent. Four or five years ago, I was told by one of his relatives that he had said that he would shoot a member of his own family. I did not look upon it as a serious matter at the time. <laughs> although I knew that his domestic surroundings were unhappy at the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> what do you want? Like, <laughs> let's mm. wait and see. Yeah, it's, it's pretty uh, convincing. Um, so he really hated his... Um, his, his, his father-in-law. Father yeah. So I did a little bit of reading, actually. It's the custody thing as a kind of theme here. Mm-hmm. He was worried that um, if he died that his father-in-law would get custody of the children. In mm-hmm. fact, he was worried that, that he might get custody... Even without him being without dead. It. It's mm-hmm. unlikely, because I found this paper about uh, the history of uh, custodial law in Australia mm-hmm. since the 19th century. And it was explaining that... Up until there's a point, uh, there were some kind of additional considerations by the 1950s, but certainly in the 19th century, there was only one rule in custody, and that was called what did they call it? Father's law or something mm-hmm. like that. So, in essence, the kids go to the dad. Kids always go to the father. Yeah. Um, so then, when you'd hear tales, as I often would hear mm-hmm. about the terrible lady who ran off without her kids. It was an odd sort of way to phrase it because she it was actually not possible to run off with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if you can find the father. Is that father law? Yeah. It's uh, yeah, father's right, sorry. Yeah. It's common law rule gave men all responsibility and custody for the legitimate children. Mm-hmm. And so it meant there was never like a sort of thing where you say, would the mother have them? The only... Yeah. Is by the end of the 19th century and into the 1950s, there was, in some cases, a very, uh, very wealthy families, for example. If the father was in prison or mm-hmm. literally insane and in an asylum or something like that, mm-hmm. then they would say, well, I guess it's kind of appropriate that young children are with their mother. That's called yeah. their mother's preference, yep. particularly if they're under seven. Only but if the dad is like fully... Up until the Family Law Act in 1975, fathers always got custody. So yeah. There was no kind of like, oh, she took the kids kind of thing. In fact... Yeah. So when people were, were outraged later that the, the, the women got the kids, it's because for the first time in history they actually could. Got them at all, Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a, another sort of aspect to it because it's it's also their, it's the father's right and responsibility. Yeah. You could get charged with desertion. If you had children and mm-hmm. then didn't want custody of them, you could actually get charged with um, not looking not after, looking after them. them. Yeah. And if you got divorced and the mother had the mother would never get custody. And in fact, if she'd committed adultery, she was mm-hmm. not allowed to see her children again. I am of the opinion that high divorce rates are often a great metric mm-hmm. on the legal system and the social system because. In the past, um, women would have just not got divorced because they wanted to keep their if children. You, 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 you couldn't have your children if you got divorced. The so, only way yeah. you could do it, um, which is where they're saying this uh, mother's maternal preference, sort of slight change in the and some of the legal decisions yeah. between sort of very end of the 19th century and 1950s. Mm-hmm. If you were uh, the father was clearly something totally whack about them, and the mother was a good mother, like you yep. couldn't be working, for example, mm-hmm. that would mean you're a bad <laughs> you're like, mother. How does that work? So that's why well, I said it really money. only helped to some middle class women. Yeah, yeah, if too. they just had a lot of money and stuff anyway. But then there's some, some of the, ca- the cases it talks about in this article, because it was almost uh, so rare that the mother would have 
podcast is that cases were more tended to be about grandparents and things mm-hmm. like that. So mm-hmm. this is interesting, very similar yeah. time to this standoff between Constable Lang and Sergeant Jordan. Yeah. There were often cases where, like, because women often dying childbirth or whatever, yeah. there would be the children of the... The first children, marriage. Yeah. yeah. Would be left with or taken by mm-hmm. the grandparents. Yep. Um, and then the father would just sort of, in some cases, just literally have nothing to do with them for... For years, but yeah. then because the father's right, they would come back and say, "Well, I'm taking my children now." Yeah, they just and sort then, of rock up and. And yeah. then the grand, a few cases in the Supreme Court where the grandparents were saying, uh, "You know, actually, like, we we don't think you don't even know this child." So yeah, few, I'm trying to find the name of the case. Let's see, in 1906, the same year. Yeah, there we go. Mm. Um, okay. In 1906 case of R versus Goldsmith, a man placed his young child in the care of the maternal grandparents for nine years, nine years. and then tried to take the child back. Jeez. The grandparents refused, and of although course. they were successful in obtaining custody against the father at the first instance, on yeah. appeal, the Supreme Court found in the father's favour on, on account of the father's right. The wife had, in that case had died, and there's other cases, uh, a man left his daughter with his sister, then his, her grandparents, yeah. went overseas, and then came back. And took custody of his 13-year-old daughter despite she didn't even know him. Oh, and, God. And yeah. nobody else. Uh, yeah, and of course there's no um, onus on him to be a good father. So mm-hmm. to be, for to have the mother's preference, he had to be a good mother. Yeah. To be a father, he just had to be a father. You can certainly see the uh, fantastically gaping hole that leaves with uh, the Indigenous children as well. Because mm-hmm. that's like there is no father on the scene most of the time. It's just a gaping hole with which to just go, well... Yeah. Here's an example. We'll step so, in here. Um, in that case, the, the guy that came back after 13 years, the courts were also really praising him, saying <laughs> he's, a, he's a really successful guy, so it's going to be a great Oh, great, great yeah. They yeah. did... They, sometimes it says they had some pretty harsh standards of masculinity. Sometimes, like, if the guy didn't earn enough money, they could... They'd still give him custody, but they'd mm-hmm. make comments like, yeah. he's kind of shit. Yeah. Um, here's some examples of... Uh, so it says in this article, there's a biologically determinist idea behind the maternal the first push for women to have custody mm-hmm. was the tender years doctrine yeah. stating that the welfare of children especially young children particularly girls was ensured by placing them in the care of their mother but that meant being a good mother um so for example in uh, 1934 a woman who advocated contraception and admitted to being an atheism was design- denied custody she sounds like a cool lady yeah. <laughs> and another 1934 case uh, denied custody specifically because the mother worked because wow. that would mean you're not a good not a good mother, but if you have no money, you're not a good mother either. Yeah. So I'm thinking through like he knew for the time being that he had a custody of these two girls. But the way to get the kids he's is planning to kill himself. We don't yeah. know why. But yeah. He's asking his second wife, well, what would you do? She says she'll keep them, but he knows that actually in that case, it's the girl's mother is no mm-hmm. longer alive. The courts would give custody to to the grand grandfather and. Before that, yeah, he hates it because it's a so it's a big pissing contest. Um, and the grandfather may also have been well. You'd think he'd know the law. He's mm-hmm. a, a sergeant may also have been aware that the only chance of getting the grandkids without the guy being dead is to show that he's like crazy and yeah. stuff like that, and that, hence certain allegations and stuff like that. Yeah. 
It is stated that the deceased was so devoted to you're gonna gag on this one, sorry. Yeah. It is stated that the deceased was so devoted to his two young daughters that he asserted he would never leave them. Consequently <laughs> he took their lives before murdering himself. I found that thing saying there are many reports Lang had frequently threatened to make way for himself, that he had been censored for neglect of duty, hmm. that he had received an intimation from official quarters that he would be removed from Pyramid Hill mm-hmm. and that he was being applied for a transfer. He is the thin blue line and he's lying in bed and he's drunk and he's telling everyone he's going to kill himself and he's probably going to kill his kids. And you're like, someone's going to come in and stop this, right? And it it sort of doesn't. To some extent, that relies on the mechanisms of the police. Yeah. Like this, um, you know, getting censured and neglected. Like, they're keeping tabs on their constables. Yeah. They know that it's happening. But they didn't act on this. Yeah. Well, they were going to. Yeah. It sounds like. The wheels were in motion. Mm. Yeah. Here's like in that Tragic, early article sad. where I started to go, what? Because in the first way to report it, just said his wife, this, and, you know, didn't mm-hmm. have any sense of kind of being odd yeah. in that sense. But then it says, Lang's moroseness is said to have been brought on through worry. His first wife, the mother of the two murdered girls, died about eight months ago. About 11 weeks back, he married Miss Barber, age 17, a Pyramid Hill girl. Almost immediately afterwards, a baby boy was born. That sounds pretty sus to me. <laughs> like... Um, yeah, it's this basic maths that, that are, um, yeah, something. Financially, not he was a well circumstance, good. and beyond the possibility of a suggested transfer, nothing is known to the neighbours which might have prompted him to kill himself and his children. I oh, know, it looks pretty, yeah. yeah. The whole thing looked like it was going to go bad, and it did. I forgot to mention that was uh, discussed in the article about history of custodial law is that important disclaimer they had fathers right to all legitimate children yep purposely as a, as a social that's what project. I was thinking in terms of the gaping hole for indigenous children they're just Le- illegitimate children neither fathers yeah. nor mothers had rights yeah them. yeah that that's the point very was vulnerable to discourage, uh, yeah people having children so they're just nowhere them. children yeah, so... Um, and that's an ex- example of that sort of legal approach which just kind of willfully just doesn't deal with the details. You're like, well, what happens, you know? What are you, how are you going to deal with that? They're like, well, it just won't happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Illegitimacy was grounds for legal discrimination, a tool to punish unwed parents and a method for regulating individuals in a Western patriarchal and patrilineal society. So that's yeah. their comment. So mm-hmm. if you were had a child out of marriage, mm-hmm. then nobody had rights to your... Including you. Know, you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Then it's sort of, um, there's a hierarchy of, say, it's obviously patriarchal, but it's patriarchal as in like patrilineal mm-hmm. um, within certain institutions that were favoured. So that's a, a, something we didn't mention enough yeah. before. And I guess people had quite a motive to say the, the second, the girl he married, the second one, mm-hmm. maybe she was like, oh no, like I'm pregnant. Yeah. What are you going to do? And he's thinking, oh. What will I do? Mm. Yeah. Maybe yeah. some, who knows, something. Yeah. He did something, don't mm-hmm. uh, she, she wouldn't have been able to keep that child unless um, she managed to pass it off as being her mother's or something. Yeah, like yeah, which is, hence the, uh, so the really uh, elaborate um, system of, yeah, like quite advanced skills in lying that people mm-hmm. got. Like, you know, you pretend the child's someone else's child and um, say that the daughter was, she just went on a holiday and really elaborate systems of lying and that's often what passed as morality. Like, and then it's obviously uh, intersects with that legal system 
very heavily. So you start to think that it's immoral to have an illegitimate child because the consequences are so full on. Mm. Um, and then it feels like the moral response, the right, like when people say respectable of that era, I'm like very good at lying. Like, <laughs> like kind of almost like they went to a university course in it, like how to make things, yeah, how to keep up appearances. Um, again, returning to my feeling that like a high divorce rate is often a great metric that something's going right with people. The, the ability to just go, nah, it's not working and stuff like that is like the opposite of that thing where you are required to make everything seem like it was working because the consequences of not doing that were so severe. Um, the legal framework then was completely different for men and their children, but um, the, you know, the, the propensity for that, that kind of like horrific crime of like killing your kids and, and or killing your wife, they did that then, they did that now, but we're, we, I don't say we, but many people will always look for, there must be some sort of reason oh, they why they that do that. Um, there's a reason. When they, find one, they say there's sudden fit. Yeah, so in this case, like, it was, you know, pretty clear that he was going to do something really bad, but they still, still later described it as he just had this sudden fit of, was it mania or something like that? And if it had happened, like, 100 years later, they'd go, it's because of the Family Law Act, and he might not have kept his kids or something. Um, we're not even saying that hypothetically, like, when cases are reported of, you know, man kills kids, etc. Um, I remember my very well-educated workmate saying, oh, that's because, you know, they had to um, go through a custody dispute. And we know that 100 years before, there was no such custody dispute and they still did that. So there's something else going on that is obviously so and it, dark that people don't want to engage with it. Definitely. Yeah. Um, it's a fit. A fit, something came out of the air yeah. or whatever. And that, the happy, so the, the Mulvin, uh, the Mueller's, the, the happy family... You know, there's obviously other things have changed over time. So the incidence of women killing their own children has declined. So it's possible to change some of these things. But in on this front, this things have changed. But yeah, changed but stay the same because it's not. It wasn't just recently you commented on some other crime and an older person said, "Oh, that must be because he was so overworked or something like that." This case, this case it was this said, case. Oh, yeah, an older person. An older person. <laughs> I just sort of roughly summarised the Pyramid Hill 1906 case. And the first thing she th said was, oh, he must have... Um, I think she said he was under, must have had a lot of work. Had a lot of work pressure. Yeah. Or, uh, and then uh, something... And then that was... Not, no, I think the first thing she said was, well, he must have been stressed because he didn't have a job, like mm -hmm. trouble looking after them. I said, no, he's a police officer. He's doing quite well. She said, he was on a lot of pressure at work. <laughs> yeah. So it just works perfectly either way. If you don't have a job, you, you know, it's because you didn't have a job. And if you had a job, it's because you had a job. Until someone is a complete blank space with no details in their life, you'll always be able to say, oh, it's because of blah. Yeah. And it's funny, but not quite funny enough. You know, we didn't touch on how it reminds you a bit of uh, like Mad Max, but also Wake in Fright, film where yeah. the guy turns up in this back backwards town and the police officer is this really intimidatingly social man. Yes, yes. Acting to a divorce. That was that Tips guy's name. Tips Rafferty does an amazing job of that. There's this scene where he's trying to, like, encourage the the newcomer to town to to be a good bloke and just keep drinking. And the other guy, who incidentally is a teacher, and he's in the country because you have to similar to the police yeah, thing, you, you get, get placed. Stationed. Yeah, you get stationed. Um, he's not entirely comfortable with it, and he's drinking a little bit and Chips Rafferty just keeps staring pointedly at his glass like mm -hmm. you're gonna drink another one right and um really just you know he's allegedly the the law enforcer in town but he's also just 
just weirdly drunk person and who who's like part of the town part of how it all works but certainly not you know riding around coming to people's aid and stuff like that is a sort of part of the thing of course the classic scene yeah maintaining order and of course through all the inability to to really help in the in a real human sense a lot of the the history there in pyramid hill and elsewhere like a lot of really horrible things happened and you know it wasn't helped or or, or a, abetted in any, aided in any way by the legal system that often just a like a bystander and sometimes a active encourager of things going badly for all those things going wrong we we definitely had the land plotted out to precise centimetres. Similar to the cemetery system. But I know you're down on their database, but yeah. I know that those cemetery trusts keep a database yeah. where it's just not, everything doesn't always have a label. It's not it, in person, but yeah. They keep good records of the yeah. plots. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'll be blown. Crawford's the name. Jack Crawford. John Grant. I'm pleased to know you, Jack. What about another beer? We are here at the Pyramid Hill Cemetery, still miserable. We've ascertained that the Lang Thanks, Mr. That's Anglican Catholic. Oh, don't tell me it's the third. Pyramid Hill when we're there yesterday. It feels somewhere that's not it's not like in the outback, but it's mm. very isolated. Mouldering back into the earth from whence it came. Um, it feels like a swamp and reclaim Pyramid Hill one day. Yeah, so it's going okay, but you're really aware of how fragile these things are, but also, you know... And we're an R, I think. Yeah, we're an R, and the nice features of the town certainly sat up against the knowledge that a heavily pregnant, intellectually disabled lady was almost certainly murdered. You can't unknow that. And, and how I, I'll, I'll last anecdote about Pyramid Hill, and I think every town has something mm. funny about it, but I honestly, the first time I went there, which was a few years ago, and I found out about this disappearance of Crystal Fraser, mm. and did some other Googling... It just overwhelmingly felt like Twin Peaks. Yeah, Something yeah. really gothic about it. And I think that's, it is a question, like, I'm asking myself, how, to what extent is a place funny, or is it just me projecting? Yeah, what it? you want to see. But in another it, yeah. story that came up through here was, you know, I mentioned the puppy farm. Mm-hmm. The puppy farm, I won't grab the full article, but it was a few years ago the RSPCA busted a puppy farm because it was you know really crowded and poorly maintained. And it, and it was saying that it was run by a local family mainly by this uh, the son, so it was mm-hmm. a parents and an adult son in his, I think, 30s or 40s, who had had some serious car accidents a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So and, he's intellectually disabled too. And his yeah. parents sort of kept the puppy farm because that's the only thing that made him feel good. Oh, man. Was running this uh, yeah. puppy farm. Yeah. And there was just something about that. I thought, that's a little bit spooky That's well. really gothic. Because it's like... How you give a puppy to someone having a bad day. Yeah. I'll give you a puppy farm with 500 puppies in them. Yeah, then it'll be okay. Yeah, have the farm. It was quite a profitable farm as well, they mentioned. So, I recommend people visit Pyramid Hill. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Go on the train for the day. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty good outing. And it's an easy walk up to the top, the lookout. The Uh, the aforementioned Pyramid Hill really does look like a pyramid. Yeah, great view and stuff like that with a walking track and a donkey that was born in 1986. On the sort of topic I was saying around like the whether whether I'm being unreasonably dramatic and gothic and saying this town has something funny about it, mm. it's 
there's a whole aspect of the town where they have their own website, their own mm-hmm. little festival. Like, there's presumably people in Pyramid Hill that think it's great. In fact, the person we spoke to at the op shop loves it. Mm-hmm. So And the cafe was good. Yeah, yeah. The bank cafe. Really cool art deco building and the food was nice. So, so. I was sort of half fighting my urge to make it into Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. The other half was like, yeah, it's just a, a cute enough little town. They're the feelings I went through when I was there. I was going in expecting it to be humorously bad and I was kind of like, oh, that's nice. It's and pretty much frank, the whole experience. There is a visible something funny about the decay of some of the houses yeah yeah some of the old shop fronts and stuff that moldering thing i think that's just something that happens when people are older and lived it somewhere for a long time yeah yeah they don't work who knows anyway pyramid hill uh something for everyone whether you just want to discover a nice little town Mm -hmm. or you're interested in gothic things or you want to help solve the mystery of pyramid hill mysteries mystery (laughs) yeah Okay, let's see. Here is my random tragedy from Pyramid Hill. Year, 1906. Headline, The Triple Tragedy. Pyramid Hill Sensation. And that's the last sighting of Crystal that we've had. A ghost town. You reckon well, it's a ghost town, Juliet? There's people here, though, but I guess it has ghosts. episode two of three of this digital death trip installment of this must be the place in the next and last episode in this set i return with a few updates i couldn't resist researching further 